0: You've been listening to Free Speech Radio News. Our newscast is supported by Pacifica Radio, community radio affiliate stations, and listener supporters. We podcast at www.fsrn.org. That's fsrn.org. You can email us your feedback, questions, and story ideas to comments at fsrn.org. Today's newscast was produced by Monica Lopez and Jackson Allers, headlines editor Shannon Young, DC editor Leanne Caldwell, and the technical production team at KPFA in Berkeley Antonio Ortiz, Eric Klein, Puck Lowe, and Rose Katabshi. I'm Jess Burns in Eugene, Oregon. This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, October 24th, well, thousand seven, from Eugene, closets. Oregon.
1: I knew this was going to happen eventually, but not so soon. Come on, it's a new year, time to start over.
2: Plus, we need more room for all your nasty construction boots. Uh,
1: you mean stiletto heels?
2: Whatever, they take up a lot of space, Imelda.
1: So, what's the difference between this year's closet and last year's closet?
2: Well, um, we're gonna have more student voice, regular guest editorials. What
1: about the music and the insightful investigative reporting? Um, oh, the
2: gossip. Yeah, that'll still be there.
1: Oh, think my rainbows. Great.
2: Let's get started. Hand me
1: a glue stick and the glitter. Welcome to Closets Are For Clothes.
3: Hey! Hey! hey. Hey.
1: (laughs) 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 Whoa! Oh my! Welcome.
3: The closets are for clothes. Hey! Oh my
1: gosh! Absolutely. So we're gonna have Uh, quite a show today. We're gonna have a terrific
3: show today. Absolutely.
1: Some of it live. Some of it Uh, taped. Some of it a mix. I told people last weekend or last week that uh, um, Gabe won't be with us till next Mm -hmm. week, and Mm -hmm. then it Mm -hmm. turns out that we had to tape a a guest earlier. Mm -hmm. So that'll um, be coming up a little bit later. Absolutely. So it is going to be quite a show. Yes,
3: I'm. uh, I'm David Meitzler. We're here with uh, Dan Burns, Burns and, yeah, uh, Morley Harper is our guest today. We're going to be talking about <laughs> football. I got I'm wearing pom I got pom-poms with me. <laughs> Thanks for having
0: the cheerleaders too. Oh, yeah.
3: Thank you very much. Oh yeah, so we're going to be doing that and we're going to be talking about uh Morley has been involved with the Panthers, the Michigan Panthers. We're going to talk about football, flag football. What is gay with football? How does that oh, work whoa, together? absolutely. I don't that.
0: Who, who chooses to be the yeah. tight end? Uh, oh. <laughs> but, um, Wide receivers.
1: Oh. That's
3: right, exactly. Yeah, See? so we'll talk about that. And Uh. then uh, what's the interview?
1: Oh, and then we have Eli Clare, uh, who is coming in this weekend uh, to talk about his new book, and um, and it basically covers a lot of things regarding um, uh, how the body holds memory and 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 how the body is uh, um, how we carry history with us and Mm -hmm. with our bodies, Mm -hmm. and so each expression of the body, um, when you're a trans person, a person with a disability, people of color, that each. that There's a lot that the body seems to uh, portray, but also interpret for us. So it's kind of an interesting poetry book. That so,
3: is terrific. That yes. sounds
1: interesting. Absolutely. And there's tons of things going on this weekend that he's going to be at. Wonderful. Yeah. So we well, haven't seen you forever.
3: Uh, I've been away. And uh, I'll tell you, the last the cities I just visited were, one was Quebec. Oh, wow. What a beautiful town that is. First time I've been there. It's gorgeous. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I'm not so sure if it was a gay town, but it must have been uh, in some ways. But it's very <laughs> French. It's a very French. It's I going to they're basically. not gay,
1: they're European. Yeah.
3: <laughs> they're French. I am from France. Yeah. They, uh, beautiful city. And I was also in uh, Midland, Texas. I remember Oh, there. wow. That was a big disappointment.
1: Oh, really? That was.
3: Yeah, big deserted area. And I, apparently, it looks like I, there was a sign on the street that said something like, Turn left here for George Bush's boyhood home or something so he must be from that area. I
1: was going to say, yeah, yeah. And, Unless it was uh, another George
0: Bush. We don't well, know no, it was. she said George W., so... Oh, okay, got yeah. it. And they said turn left?
3: Well, uh, ooh...
0: Uh, oh, <laughs> you, you were coming from the wrong
3: direction. Oh, That's was, right. I'm, al- I'm always doing that. <laughs> exactly. Aren't. Oh, I can see where this is going to go. Um, yeah. So that was a big disappointment. City. Oh right? my gosh. Just yes. well, g- deserted.
1: Getting back to Quebec, my favorite story is um, uh, we, as a kid, my parents. Whatever. We never went like to go visit relatives or anything like this or whatever. We always had to go on something where it was a learning vacation. Um, so we'd be always have to like we'd go to um, oh uh, like George Washington's home and we had to learn about history it was always something about it. so my parents decided to take us to quebec and oh, wow. so it's a long ride or whatever and we at that time it was very clear that they only speak french so we're like okay so we'll get through this or whatever so we get there and, we, and of course we have like three or four days of driving to get there so my mom's like well i took a little high school french and she's like at this time a little older and um, and uh, so she's like so I think I might be able to remember a few things so we're learning French in the car so we'd be able to get That's around and say, okay. oh absolutely yeah and we get there and the tradition is is that on, on the way there we usually stop at like fast food restaurants so it's very quick trips and go but when we finally get to our destination we actually have a sit down meal and then we can kind of rest and relax once we get there and but we got there too late and so everything had been closed so the only thing that was available was McDonald's so we walk in, and I fell in love with McDonald's. It was all pink and mirrors and glass. I mean, the whole thing was like this, and I was just starstruck as a kid. You know, like, whoa. Well, was that the first time
3: at McDonald's or first time at McDonald's in Quebec? I mean, C- so that was the unique thing about. Why were they all so...
1: I have no... Pink. I I have no (laughs) idea. Exactly. Yeah, really. Yeah, there might be more to that story that I realized. So, you Ah. know, so we're trying to figure out and we look up at the menu and we realize uh, the whole menu is in French. And we're like, oh my gosh. Well, my sister and I had been to McDonald's so many times that we could tell you third one down is the Big Mac, you know, Uh fourth one down is Quarter Pounder. And my mom knew how to say the the words. (laughs) And so um, we figured out what we wanted and what we wanted to order and we were practicing our orders and things because my mom was like I'm not going to be able to remember all the kids you know venues and stuff so we all had to remember our own and we're like okay we're ready so we get up and we get in line or whatever and we get up to the cashier and my mother goes we're Americans (laughs) and the guy goes and I'm Canadian, can I take your order? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mom, I'm not uh, hungry, let's go. <laughs> well, just, she worked, uh, she
3: really demonstrated that she worked very hard on the French process. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get, you get very insecure if you don't know the language of the area. And, you know, I, I can understand. Yeah, her,
1: absolutely. So. So. Well, we're
3: going to talk about Sports today and football, and Morley Harper is here, and he's a football specialist. I think Uh, (laughs) he's been, I think, to just about uh, you go to every single football game with U of M, don't you? I mean, you try as often as I can. You have all you have the season tickets, and you're there, and you are you know, you know, the game backwards and forwards, and uh, um,
1: sideways, and
3: yeah and, and you know and, and you're I would say you, you're, you're very gay you're a very gay person of course and uh, here you are so much <laughs> into sports and uh, well sp- sp- I, I have had my gay card revoked several times but because you didn't know the answers to certain questions like you know who's Donna Summer and who no. <laughs> that, that's old enough I know who she is yeah.
0: but, but, I, but I always managed to get it back
1: so
3: yeah well uh, you know sports seems like such a straight thing doesn't it
1: well that's what I always uh, that's exactly it that's what. I'm things that i have always heard was like you know you, you're gay you can't be you know sports or even like at work at work we've been decorating the office and stuff getting ready for various holidays coming up and and there was things where we had to cr- you know throw things across this atrium and they looked at me and that oh no you can't throw no i mean no, they instantly you're known, gay you can't well, throw so what
0: about that um he's right <laughs> so well okay let's go on <laughs> that's the end of the show no i i think obviously a lot of people uh you think back to high school days and Elementary school days, getting picked for teams, and that doesn't bring back good memories. Um, there were people, though, and I don't know if less of them came out or they came out later, who are involved in sports. And we take a look at things like the Gay Games. There are 12,000 athletes from around the world who come and compete. Uh, we have the Gay Super Bowl now as well. So there are people out there who do that, too. And just like every other aspect of life, gay or not, we're, we're there. We're yeah, we're, we're there. Sorry.
3: We're here. We're queer. And we're going to
0: win. And, and we're and going to sack some quarterbacks. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I mean, if you notice, but the culture is very supportive of that, too, because if you go into a straight bar, it's all sports. You have right. monitors that are like three feet across, and they're uh, much larger than, I'm sorry, six oh, feet wow. across. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and they're just showing football games, hockey games, baseball games, every possible sports thing is going on, and it's all about sports in, in straight bars. You go over to a gay bar, and you don't hear anything about sports.
0: Right, right. And if you're lucky, you might find a gay sports bar, but there aren't even many of those. I've, even in large cities like New York, I think there's one gay sports bar.
3: I wouldn't see. I would not have expected to yeah. be anything like that.
0: But I think that's because straight people go to bars for different reasons than gay people do. Gay people primarily go to bars to pick up people or to be at the bar, or go dancing. Straight guys go to, you know, bond with other I, straight well, guys. But I, no, I, I, think that's a, I think
3: that's a misconception. I think at straight bars, uh, straight people go to bars to pick up people, too.
0: Right, but they're there to pick up women who well, yeah. aren't necessarily interested in sports. But I don't know. There's a guy thing. I I don't go to straight bars or. Pick well, no, up women, we're gonna have to. So you know, know, we're gonna to get we're gonna have to get
3: a straight person on this show. That's right. That's right. Alex, <laughs> why do
0: you? Why, Alex is our engineer? Uh, why That's right. why do you,
3: why do straight people go to to bars? You know, it's uh, I think it's because well, sure, you to drink, to be with other people, and and to perhaps uh, meet somebody. Get lucky, right. which, which right. is the same reason why gay people go to gay bars. Well, they go to and they also to go to dance, dance. The, but they, add, you know, with yeah, the addition of dancing and other things.
1: Okay, so the, but there so, are some gay bars that aren't dan- that don't have dancing. That's true, but you know, so but, they, they mean, so yeah, so I mean, that, that, that is a possibility. Yeah, but there's,
3: being, there, there, certainly is. I've never heard of a uh, of a gay sports bar until you mentioned it just now, and I've certainly never
0: seen that anywhere around here. Um, I think there's one in Chicago, but I think it's mostly a, a lesbian bar. Hmm. Oh, okay. So, well, I mean, so that's a good point. So what we're talking
1: about is mostly gay men. We're not talking about lesbians. Well, lesbians have their uh, sports too, and
3: uh, okay, all right. Yeah, and and so and we're going to talk about football. And um, are there women? Uh, are there lesbian women football teams? We we know there's a gay male sports team, and we're going to talk about that, that's the Michigan Panthers. the uh, uh, Michigan Panthers, uh, let's talk a little bit about a history of that. Uh, where did that group start and where did it come from?
0: Uh, the group started just about two and a half, three years ago, uh, as we were approaching the Gay Games. Um, back in 1994, New York football was one of the sports in the Gay Games. Coming into 2006, initially it was going to be in Montreal, then the Gay Games got pulled into Chicago. They weren't going to have football initially. I brought it up to them, they said, oh yeah, we should have that. And then it was added Mm. unbeknownst to me in the meantime since 1994 from about 2001 2002 some of the bigger city leagues had started playing each other and they created the gay bowl or the gay super bowl and that had been going on for about six seven years at that point Mm. so they pulled them in and we got about uh i think nine ten teams coming in and playing at the gay games
3: and this is uh you're talking about um with with the panthers this is flag football this is flag football. can you describe flag football as um, opposed to sure. regular football
0: it's pretty much the same thing but instead of tackling you have a triple belt flag there's little uh belts hanging down up you have a belt and from it there are three uh strips, strips of cloth yeah. there mm-hmm. go or nylon and you have to pull that off the whole belt comes off and then you're tackled so it's a little bit less violent they're still blocking on the line uh, and a little bit of chucking up the field. That varies from league to league. Chucking up the field. A little bit of blocking. Uh, in the gay league, you do not they don't allow bull rushing. You can't run into somebody and knock them over, but you can make contact. Uh-huh. So it gets a little bit nebulous as to how much is allowed, but oh. we figure yeah, it
3: out. Yeah, tackling seems so much more intimate.
0: Oh, it is. Uh, the, you know the problem then is that you have to let go uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I> think, <laughs> so, yeah if I got a hold of an athlete i don 't know if i'd let him
1: go, yeah. There
3: you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, but I, did, obviously I just see the referees coming and... to pull Dan off. Video. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> tweet, oh,
1: tweet, tweet, tweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I, I, so that's interesting. So why not have tackling? Oh, illegal use
0: of the hands. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot, darn it. Roping. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So, sure. I mean, um, it, well, why not have it so? so like, why we not have tackle? Yeah, well, tackle.
0: Tackle is fun, too. It's a little bit more injury prone, and I think uh, we try to limit that. uh, People play it a little bit bit older than when you're back in high school playing tackle or in the. So the Michigan Panthers group is is an older group of people. Um, Older than say high school and college, yes. Okay. Uh, We probably range in age from about twenty four to forty four. Okay. So it's a good range.
1: So, now what about like
0: the, the straight leagues? Well, the straight football
1: leagues, are, do they do tackling? I
0: mean, Actually, there are very few of those anymore that do, and I think it's a liability issue for them. Uh, I think the universities back in the old days used to do it. Very few universities still do that for intramurals. Most of those are flag football or touch football. Okay. Uh, we played in a couple of straight leagues here just for practice, uh, the Panthers have. We played in league in Canton, the league in Wixom, and both of those were flag football as well with different degrees of contact allowed for okay. blocking.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh. And so now, are bisexuals
0: allowed on the team?
3: Uh, yes. Okay. <clears throat> and, uh, it's, so it's not, it's not gay.
0: What about straight people? What Even straight, straight people. In fact, uh, we had, I think one or two straight people who came with us to New York to play in a gay Super Bowl uh, earlier this month.
1: Uh-huh. Now, I don't know if that would be fair. They'd be kind of like setting up the team. I mean, like you got... Uh, well, is it
0: a gay football team if it's full of straight people? Uh, no, actually the gay league allows you to have up to 20% straight players. So...
3: That's a national. Uh, that's a, a, a national directive, rule, right? Yeah. Oh,
1: that's interesting. Yeah, like, why do they have twenty percent not ten? There they go again. Well,
0: yeah. The teams number about fifteen people, so twenty oh. percent really gives you about three. Yeah, there okay. you
3: go. What what about a straight person that acts gay? Um, Can he be on the team? Sure. And, or would he be excluded? <laughs> <laughs> well, if a straight
0: person acts gay, would he still be interested in football?
1: Yeah. See, oh, uh, I've, I'm still trying to figure out the whole mm. sports thing when, with with. Uh, yeah, so I mean that's I mean yeah, I mean I guess it's we're getting to like yeah Like with the different roles that we, like, the expectations of what does it mean to be I mean to be a man or be Masculine and and I think that that's a lot of what I, I think a challenge that we have in the gay community is You know if I'm not masculine well, of course I'm not gonna be good in football, but I may still be feminine and interested in sport
3: or the suggestion is that being gay is not Masculine
1: right Right, so therefore you wouldn't be playing football, or you wouldn't be playing any type of sport, or and and or be an athlete of any type, whether it's football, swimming, you know, um, running, anything like that, that you wouldn't be interested necessarily. Even though we have the the quote unquote gym buddies, but um, uh, they just want to look good. Well, right, you know, are they there for other purposes? Right, right. exactly. You know, or, or they want to be near people who look good. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, You know, I think football in general, and I, I think maybe it's because there isn't as much women football leagues. Um, that becomes more masculine. If you, you mentioned swimming, but there are all sorts of female swimmers, and we all know them. We've seen them. Mm-hmm. we see mm-hmm. them in the Olympics. So it's not necessarily masculine, per se, to swim. No. Okay. Um, so football gets more of the masculine brand. Maybe because it's aggressive. Not necessarily it's, justifiably. It's, I mean,
3: football is a more aggressive sport than swimming is, wouldn't sure, you say? Sure. Yeah. There's
0: more contact. Or wrestling. Um, yes. Mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, all those smiles. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> He
1: knows we got silent. Um, um, so, what are uh, we talking about? What about yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, are
0: butch lesbians allowed on the team? <clears throat> uh, we actually did have one lesbian who came out and played with us once, um, but then she got tied up with schoolwork. Mm-hmm. So women are allowed. Women are allowed. In fact, uh, the New York team has a transgendered person as well. Wow. Great. So what about a straight woman? Uh, sure. Yeah, so I guess the thing what we're getting to is that everybody's
1: allowed on the. It's more It seems to be every. We're just there really to play the game.
3: Are, uh, is the are the Panthers marketed as a gay team or are they just a football team? And it just happens to be that it's uh it's mostly gay.
0: No, we're marketed as a gay team because primarily we formed to play in gay leagues and the gay mm-hmm. games. Um, we're now playing in straight leagues or have been over the summer and in the in the spring. Um, so obviously. We're not exclusively gay. We don't only play in gay venues, and we don't only have gay players on the team, but we are our primary focus is gay and to be part of the gay community in and that respect.
3: Are the players making a declaration when they uh join the team? Like they I they, uh, they have to fill out some forms, Oh, I'm gay, what do you hide um you know,
0: bisexual or whatever? What if they're straight, they have a lisp? Uh we don't care. <laughs> uh technically again with the gay Super Bowl, when you sign up as a player it. Asked you if you're gay, straight, or bisexual. There was no yeah. hands on test, so to speak, so you can put down whatever that's, you want. That's,
3: that's interesting that as your team, you don't care whether people are gay or straight, but if you go on a straight team, they, oh, yeah. they care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially in professional sports. <clears throat> oh, definitely. Where people won't come out
0: while they're playing.
3: And And what is the reason for that?
0: Uh, we'd, morally What we probably <laughs> want to do is get uh, a former uh, NFL player here. But yeah, I think you have out. enough experience with straight
3: teams that you can... Well, uh,
0: I I think, you know, the the, the problem the might be that there there might be a few people on the team who know and don't care. There might be a few people who seem to be very bad about it. And I'm, there are a few people who have been in the press that have made issues out of it. Um, usually these days they have to retract what they say, but that wasn't always the case. Um, so it becomes kind of uncomfortable. Maybe... You you don't want to be there and most people just rather not deal with it because they've got enough to focus on in terms of the game itself
1: because i think part of it i th- for me i think is is that the the threatening of my masculinity or my sense of myself that if i you know the 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 homophobic situation that happens of i, I can't be as aggressive if i've got somebody you know
0: gay on the team kind which is of the same thing yeah, in the military you know right I, I can't have a guy in the foxhole next to me shooting a gun if he's gay because uh, something right right <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah
3: we're not sure why just, right. this is our policy and you know obviously
0: yeah. professional athletes are, are so good at what they do it's it's really kind of mind-boggling in a way and you think you know these people get all the way up there and they're in the nfl and you know who's gonna stop and think oh my god maybe they really aren't good enough just because they're gay that's yeah. that's right. absurd right
3: now uh are you the coach uh, for the michigan panthers or um, a coach i'm a coach i manage the team huh? does uh, the coach have to be gay
0: uh, Does it even have to be a man? Again, no. I mean, you know, if somebody wants to volunteer and help and can help us out, mm-hmm. that's fine with us. Mm-hmm. We're lucky enough we have somebody who actually has been coaching football for 25 years and used to play for Michigan State who's on the team mm-hmm. and has been helping us a lot with that. So now, okay, so mostly it's gay teams playing against gay teams? On the national level, yes. Unfortunately, here in Michigan, there's only one team, so we don't really have any other gay teams to play. They're, we're hoping to develop teams in closer places like, say, Cleveland. Chicago mm-hmm. has their own league with a dozen or two teams, Is it, but it's a little bit far to travel on a weekly basis to, to play. Right.
3: Is there a special challenge to playing a gay team
0: as opposed to a straight team? Do Because uh, we're better. Do they, you know, do, <laughs> are, the gay, are the gay people more fierce? Uh, th- there's certainly a lot of fierceness. I don't know that they're more fierce. Um, some people are more intense and into the game, and, again, I don't think... Uh, gender or sexual orientation makes a difference there
1: but do, do the other teams like to the unquote, straight teams treat you all differently or react to you differently like what's it I mean do they, like do they get do you guys do they know they're playing a gay team and if so do they
0: no they, they, they it haven't. We, them? we were not we were not out so to speak when we were playing in Canton and Wixom. oh um, so that makes things a little bit different we actually had a practice on campus a couple weeks before the gay games and we played a pickup game against uh, a bunch of Michigan students, and uh, somewhere along the line, somebody asked, Well, so how do you guys know each other? I'm like, uh, well, Oh, you're a gay team, but you remained closeted when you were
3: playing locally in Canton and Wixom.
0: Yeah, we did. There are probably about three or four people on the team who aren't out at all. But they're on a they gay were, team. Uh, yeah, but nobody knows they're on a gay team. But it's or a gay nobody team. Nobody knows the team that they're playing is gay. It's a gay team. Um, you market
3: yourselves as a gay team.
0: Well, we don't market that much.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, <you> ought-
0: <laughs> we, we market within the gay community. Um, no, there, there, are a few people who aren't out, and you know, we're we're not out there wearing, uh, you know.
1: Their uniforms are in pink and lavender. Well, <laughs> that, that, that is a question that's
3: coming up. But you could still be a gay team, marking yourself as gay, but you say you welcome straight people so they can just be straight people, sure. and so-called straight people on your gay team.
0: Right, and we actually had uh, a bunch of straight people, not a bunch, but somebody's cousin and somebody's cousin's friend and whatever it was who came and played, and they were straight, and then uh, we were short a guy or two, so... Somebody else brought a friend who was straight, and they played. And that you know, just that seems was great.
3: kind of like uh, subversive or something. That you're playing. You're you're playing these other teams. You're, you're you're a gay team. We're you identify yourselves as a gay team, and here you are locally in your own area, and you're essentially masquerading as a well, different kind of team. We're
0: not really masquerading at no, all. We're out there. I know you're football. all right. You're just playing in, football. Exactly. That's fair. But yeah, that's that's really our. That, that's what we're there to do. All
1: right. So, okay, so then what is it that folks are getting... So, okay, so then why not just... Okay, I think what Dave's trying to get at is that then why not just be a straight team? Why not just... <laughs> why not just be a football why team? Why not just be a... Yeah, why just not just be a... Play-
0: well, because we want to play in the gay leagues as well, and we want to have the camaraderie of a gay team. Uh, the team off the field, uh, we do a lot of things together. We go out to the bars, we've done other things, somebody's birthday's coming up, we celebrate. Uh, a bunch of guys have gone together for oktoberfest in germany so there's a lot of social camaraderie in the team as well as playing football social camaraderie so what about love on the uh field? love on the field <laughs> well well not on the field um i don't know how much of that i don't think we've really had any of that of people on the team dating each other obviously when you go to some place like the gay games in new mm-hmm. york you have a lot of opportunities and you can meet a lot of people mm-hmm. and you can get very busy um But uh, there's been some of that between teams, but not internally. Let's talk
3: about uniforms. What is the uniform for flag football? You don't wear all the plastic wear, the shoulder supports, knee supports,
0: protection, all that stuff? No pads, no helmets, um, just really jersey shorts and the flag belt.
3: Well, no wonder they get injured. Yeah, no
0: wonder
1: there's no tackling. Yeah, well,
3: so helmets. So when you wear your helmets on your team, aren't people concerned about messing up their hair? Well,
0: no, like we, don't, a good, we don't wear don't. a respectable helmets. gay person would be. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's absolutely a problem. You're not wearing a helmet, so you have to oh, make sure your hair is There's them. not good. even a helmet? No, no helmet.
3: This, no. I mean, people extra, wear helmets now when they ride
0: bikes. <laughs> Why aren't you wearing a helmet? <laughs> well, because we're playing on softer grass, whereas the bike riders are oh, on the my. street. That's that's a lot more dangerous. Oh, goodness. I mean, they could hit cars. We could just, you know, bump into... Hit each into, other? No, a 300-pound lineman or something, but, Whoa. you know...
3: Well, uh, what is the, you know, when we talk about the physical makeup of, let's say, an NFL team, those are some huge people, and it's the, that's by design. And so what is the physical makeup of the gay team, the, the Panthers?
0: Um, we actually have a couple of large guys who are in the 300-pound range. Oh. Uh, one was a former uh, lineman in a, at the college level um so we do have some big guys uh, i'm sorry I, that's very funny to me it just that you can just
1: imagine you're going to just a pickup game and you say yeah we'll play against you and then all of a sudden you see this huge linebacker and you're like holy camoly. Well <laughs> actually when we were playing
0: here before the games that, that actually yeah, we were out in elbow field and uh i'm not a particularly large guy uh the people that we had a pickup game against were more or less my size as well you know let's say under six foot and under 200 pounds. Uh-huh. Um, and I asked them, hey, do you guys want to play against us? And they said, well, yeah, but we're not playing tackle. And they were all kind of looking at Stacy, it was about 300 pounds and 6'5. Oh, I was like, okay. got yeah. it. Okay. So, gotcha. So, how did the Panthers even get started? Um, well, I played in 1994 for Team Dallas when they played in the gay games in New York. And, uh, there was nothing else going on in the area at the time i talked to the organizers and they said well you know try la try houston try dallas and people down in dallas were like sure come on down and play with us and that was a great experience um new york was great then too and then the gay games went to amsterdam and australia and there was no american football so it didn't leave a lot of opportunity for that but when it came back to the to north america two years ago it was like or a year and a half ago it was like hey here's the opportunity let's get something going and it, it actually helped to organize a team that we had something to go to and play as opposed to, hey, you know, let's all hang out Saturday afternoon and toss football around. Maybe we'll even have somebody to play against. So,
3: And uh, what what are your plans now for the team? You're, it's, I mean, it's now the end of the season, and uh, you're going to be training basically for next season, right?
0: Uh, absolutely. There, are, We're hoping that Fort Lauderdale, there's a team down there in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and we're hoping they're going to put on a tournament sometime like March or February. It's a good time to go down there. Um, and then uh, the Gay Games next year will be in Salt Lake City.
3: The uh, website is um, uh, michiganpanthers.org, michiganpanthers.org, and then uh, teammichigan.us. The Michigan Panthers is the the gay football team, and then uh, teammichigan.us is uh, gay athletics in the state of Michigan. So it's a statewide organization. Team
0: Michigan formed before the Gay Games to try and be an umbrella organization for all the different sports and Individuals who are going to the Gay game Games from Michigan, and uh, we still have the website there. If you want to find about other teams, bowling, golf, running, swimming, uh, there are good links there. Uh-huh.
1: And so I was wondering. I mean, every football team has to have great cheerleaders. So is there any place for
0: us cheerleaders? Um, yeah. Actually, other cities have <laughs> cheerleading squads. If you saw the movie Jeffrey, Team Dallas Cheer Squad was in there for about. 10th of a second no way uh, yeah right there the, the end scenes are actually have live footage from uh the stonewall march and uh there are a few people interested in cheerleading uh who have been cheerleaders in college and we're thinking about putting something like that together too. <gasps> i was gonna
1: say can i be helping with the michigan <laughs> panther cheerleaders
0: <laughs> That's That's be a booster. <laughs>
3: Oh, Absolutely. that's wonderful. Uh, you've been listening to Closets Are for Close. Uh, this is the first half anyway. And Morley Harper has been our guest, part of the Michigan Panthers, talking about football, gay football, gay sports, all that stuff. We're going to certainly have you back. And I want to get some coverage, certainly, of your games next season. And good luck to you during your your wintertime training. Bulk up, you know, that's as excellent. you. <laughs> well, great to be here.
0: And like you say, if anybody's interested, they can find out more about us on the website. Sign up for our mailing list uh, www.michiganpanthers.org. Very good. Good. I'm David Meinsler here with Dan Burns. Classes are for clothes, and uh,
3: we'll be back in just a little bit.
2: Joining us, we are so lucky to have um, disability queer rights activist Eli Clare with us. Mm -hmm. And Eli Clare actually has connections to Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan, um, and hopefully he'll be able to talk about that a little bit. Um, Eli, are you there?
4: Yes.
1: Hi, welcome to Closets. Thank
2: you, Dan. So, Eli, we are so excited. Um, this is Gabe, and uh, we are so excited to be hosting you, or to be joining with Homo Factus Press and the School of Social Work in the Levin Center to be hosting you back in Ann Arbor.
4: Yeah, it's uh, it'll be great to be back in Michigan.
2: So, so tell us a little bit about um, the messages you you hope to send, the, the hope that you hope to communicate um, during your visits here.
4: Well. This is the first speaking engagement I'll be doing since my new book, The Mirror's Tongue, has come out. And The Mirror's Tongue very much is about embodied experience of a variety of kinds, particularly about disability and. Queerness and transgender experience as well as class and race and sexuality. A lot of what I'll be doing in Michigan, both in the evening lecture on Thursday and in a disabilities that is seminar on Fridays, talking about how bodies carry identity and history, and how bodies get stolen away from us through various systems of oppression, and how the mechanisms for that thievery often are similar across different systems. Repression,
2: and that's such a powerful image—the the the fevery of our bodies and the identities that our bodies carry. Can can you offer an example?
4: What? what... Let me start right away by reading a poem both about identity and bodies and fevery of bodies. Let me find the poem. This poem comes from the narrative telling and is um the poem is called Tremors and this poem is um I think for self explanatory so let me just read it and then we can talk more generally about this I Identity and very those ideas. So the poem is called Tremors. Hands, broad and knobby, I tuck them against my body, let tremors run from shoulder blade to fingertip. Tension burns the same track of muscles. Pencil slows across blue line paper. Words scratch like sandpiper tracks at low tide. Kids call cripple. Bank tellers stare silent. Doctors predict arthritis. Joints crack in the vice grip. My hands want to learn to swear. Late at night, I trace the long curve of your body. Tremors touch skin, reach inside, and I expect to be taunted, only to have you rise beneath my hands, ask for more.
2: Amazing. Such rich imagery. And you know, Eli, I've, I've heard you read that before and it still is so impactful. I heard you read it at Creating Change in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And it was great, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it was amazing. So,
4: so-, so here, here in this poem is both this notion of how bodies carry identity. My identity as a disabled person is all over this poem and how my body carries that identity and at the same time there are a number of images in this poem that are exactly what I mean about how bodies are stolen from us the kids who call cripple the bank tar- tellers is they're silent this notion that i'm Kind of the shame about how a lover might experience my body, and then get surprised when that shame is contradicted.
1: And then, and so with the the folks, I mean, with the history part, is it that when those things happen, all those feelings are coming up as a history of what all the all those tremors mean for you, or
4: exactly? exactly how we, how we all store the histories of what has have, have happened to our bodies. All that history is stored in our bodies at some level, sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious, and most of the time a really complicated mix of the two.
2: Eli, you know, like your poetry is so is so personal, um, and a lot of it talks about the thievery of our bodies like you just mentioned how do you how do you sort of resolve the fact that the poetry that you write is so um, so personal so first person there's so much of you in it and balance that with the subject the, the thievery and, and the oppressions that, that we, we take on
4: I feel like much of my writing both my prose and my poetry live at the intersection between the private and political and the personal and the public that I'm that often my work is both intensely personal and public at the same time and private and political at the same time that I'm forever working and putting personal story in a bigger context, whether that be a social context with other humans or a natural context with the natural world and trees and borders beaches and rivers
1: so so it sounds like you've chosen to to be because I hear that a lot where they the being personal is being political or, or the personal or the the person is political and right.
4: well I specifically didn't say personal and political I chose to pair those words in a little different. Way I was pairing the personal with the public, and the political with the private. And, and why? And so, and by pairing the words that way, I'm suggesting that it's not a one-on-one correspondence between the personal and the political. That it's that it's a more complicated relationship between what's considered private and sometimes that private stuff is personal and sometimes it's something other than personal and politics is often seen as contradictory to private and so I'm saying my work sits kind of at that and the tension between private and political.
1: So, have, what would you descri- How would you describe the style of poetry that you do?
4: Narrative. I, my poetry tells stories, and it's very like the way I describe my poetry is as narrative.
1: So so with those narratives they definitely for me when i hear a lot about narratives it's like either autobiography or, or bio, biography where someone has written about something right but yet it's still to me makes such a a, a larger statement than right. just the well, the individual
4: right let me read you another poem it's the narrative it's could Thin silver notes. The one who wears language warm against her breastbone. Which dreams are memory, rhythm of leg and lung and heart, mile after mile. The drowning one who hauls his own heavy self back to land. Which poems are flesh and which are dream. Did we dance the day Nelson Mandela went free? The one who carries a rifle, swings a crowbar, walks through shards as her neighborhood burns. Which memories will be forgotten only to return? Dream of flood, dream of fire, dream of children torn loose the one who comes close to thin silver notes of death, which poems refuse to lie, and which lies tell a truth, fierce and rough, whatever the tear shake this into memory.
2: So, Eli, there's a lot of really rich content there. So, where, where do you find most of your influence and inspirations? Where do they come from?
4: A variety of places, of course. I'm a poet, both a poet and an essayist and an activist who is deeply, deeply embedded in community. And there's to me, some tension between the solitary nature of writing and the community nature of much of what roots my work. So community is one of those inspirations, and for me, disability community and queer community are... Two very important places for me, my writing is also rooted in the natural world and and finally rooted in a determination that the world needs to be changed in my politics as a in my queer politics, my feminist politics, my anti racist politics, my uh, economic justice politics
1: so where do you feel that that role in society that we we're, we're, is that role in society I mean what is it that makes that the or the poet um so important to society because I think america doesn't really acknowledge that
4: anymore. Right, right. I've, several people have asked me about um, publishing with Homofactus Press, which is, of course, a local, it's a landing press, um, and what I've said is that Jay Simmons taking this book on as a project is a labor of love. There is no money to be made at all in publishing poetry in the U.S. It's completely a labor of love.
1: It, it is a, it, At
4: the same time, there's been, the, in the last 15 years, this renaissance of spoken word poetry in this country that's not translated well into a book market, but there is such a flourishing scene of spoken word poetry that is pushing the boundaries of what's considered poetry and what's considered political activism. The role of artists in political movements there are a lot of roles that artists can play. Some of them are reflection of experience and analysis and community values back into communities. Um, some of it's educational, and some of it's pushing communities farther along in particular has. So it's challenge, education, and reflection are three significant roles.
1: Gotcha. So, with this being a labor of love, and are you finding that it's just because folks are not. Really interested in it, or is it because there's just the there's such a the publishers uh, besides, of course, Homo Factus Press um, have such a, that they have to have such a huge mark uh, margin of profit that they're not willing to take a a um, a risk with a book uh, like yours.
4: I think it's a combination. The market for poetry is a smallest market. Not a lot of people read poetry. And so that small market in conjunction with publishers both need and desire for big profit margins combine to make poetry publishing difficult this country. And, you know, for some presses, the desire for a huge profit margin is about capitalism and greed. For other presses, it's really about survival. We have seen in this country in the last 20 years, independent presses close by the dozens by the hundreds probably and that has had a really chilling effect on what what writers write and what readers read and I know that in an earlier incarnation I shot this book of poetry around and came closed twice to getting it published and in one of the instances the press was like we simply don't have money. We have lost a grant that we were using to publish poetry and we simply don't have money. And in that case it's not a profit margin that's preventing publishing. It's it's a matter of staying financially solvent or not.
1: So, what does that say about um, society if we're if we're not valuing uh, artists like yourself?
4: It it says a number of things. But before I talk about. My thoughts about what those factors are, I also want to feel that say that I feel extraordinarily valued in the communities where I'm rooted, that I feel really valued and well received both in disability communities and queer communities, but I'm hearing all the time from within those communities that my work both creates really necessary reflections and essential challenges within those communities. So,
1: But Eli, don't uh, you think that that's more about... About saying a lot about the work that you that that you're so good at doing and the and the passion that you put into your work rather than the art itself, because I think it's more of a reflection about you mm-hmm. than than actually poetry
4: mm-hmm. you know, Dan, I'm unwilling to believe that my art by itself doesn't move people, you know I would probably have deployed it up at some point if I lost my faith in my art itself. Mm. That said, I think you're right. I think it's some of both that I bring a lot of passion and commitment and fire to how I present my work in various communities. So I... I do feel very appreciated, and but on a small scale. So to return to a question of what does it say about, about this culture that art is not, is often not appreciated and not used in a variety of contexts. And I think it's said that we live in a consumer-driven culture where capitalism is the prime value, where money is the prime value, and that art has a hard time hoarding its own in that context.
2: Eli, why do you think there are so many within the LGBTQ, within the queer community, addressing those intersections of gender identity and g- gender expression, disability, and queerness. I, I I feel like it's it's you and it's Emmy Kuyama. Um, why are there? Why why does it seem like many of our national organizations don't talk about it?
4: There is there is a, you're right. There is a small handful of us doing the work, and Emmy is certainly a brilliant voice. Two to them I would add Kim Fries, Diana Corvant, Corbett O'Toole, Alison Kafer, Bob Guer, Robert McCure. Um the point is it's it's a small group but it's not just two of us. Um and I certainly haven't named everyone in that short list of people, why why queer communities aren't addressing the intersections between queerness and disability is something many of us, certainly the people I just named, many of us would like an answer. Some of it is that in general progressive communities and progressive politics hasn't added disability and the issues around ableism, that is, disability oppression, to a progressive political agenda, the way race and class gender and sexual orientation have been added to that agenda. And I'm not saying that those issues have been added in a consistent, committed way, but those issues are certainly on the table in progressive political agendas. Disability has not been added to... The brain, and a lot of my work, one of the impetuses for a lot of my work is to push progressive people to add disability to the political agenda. I think a lot of people are terrified, a lot of non disabled people are terrified of disability, and that Care gets in the way of seeing disability as a, a political issue rather than a personal tragedy. In specifically to queer communities, um, I think we missed an incredible opportunity to address disability during the years when the AIDS epidemic was hitting queer communities and particularly gay men's communities really hard that, that we didn't name AIDS as disability and we didn't make the connections with disability communities that would really have created a larger context for AIDS and HIV. And the loss of those connections is certainly about homophobia within the disability rights movement and ableism within what, at that time, were gay and lesbian communities, and that's that is certainly a very big missed opportunity
2: absolutely um and and we hope that our listeners tonight won't miss the opportunity to see you when you're here next week on the twenty fifth speaking of the school' of social work. Um, And then also participating in um, Celebrating Abilities Week at University of Michigan. And then on the 27th at the Levin Center.
4: And in between then, Friday the 26th, I'll be doing a book reading from the Mirror's Telling and Common Language at Mm -hmm. 7 o'clock.
2: Excellent. Excellent. You've been listening to Closets Over Clothes with queer disability rights activist um, and poet Eli Clare. Eli, thank you so much for being with us today.
4: Thank you very much, Gabe, and thank you, Dan.
1: All right, terrific. Well, Gabe. So we will. Um, well, I guess we're going to be seeing you next week. I'm looking forward to it. This is Halloween. It's going to be next week. It's true. All Hallows Eve. That's right. It's so you gay your. Uh, you got your. Uh, um, I have costume. several outfits. Thank oh, you. Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. So we will have to uh, definitely get tuned in, and so that all our listeners can uh, see what we're going to wear for Halloween.
2: Absolutely, you don't want to miss it. And ho- and we'll we'll have a whole show dedicated. Yes. To drag.
1: Absolutely. Drag queens. Drag
2: queens. That's That's right. Drag dogs, drag
1: cats.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Closets Are For Clothes every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on WCBN FM Ann Arbor 88.3.
1: You can contact us by calling 734 763 3500 or writing to 530 SAB Ann Arbor, Michigan 48109.
2: And don't forget our new email address WCBNClosets at gmail.com.
1: The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the speaker and are not the opinions of WCBN or their licensees the regions of the University of Michigan.
2: For Dan Burns and engineer Alex Belhage, I'm Gabe Javier. Remember, be yourself because you don't get to be anyone else. with the group Alpha Toujours. You're listening to WCBN-FM
4: Ann Arbor.